little over a month, we have been uh, talking about, uh, preaching on, looking at the hidden gifts of Christmas. We, we found them mainly in Matthew and Luke. However, we did look at John a little bit as well. And in uh, John's gospel, it kind of starts off just looking back like, in a, like a quick little synapse of, of the birth, actually before the birth of Jesus. Uh, today I want us to start a series out of the gospel of John. We, there, there you go. The, we're going to start a series of the gospel of John. We're going to follow our king's example through the gospel of John. And I want to do something different this year. As we start off, lots of times I do six-week series, four-week series, that kind of deal. I'm going to do 16 weeks in the book of Mark. I've been saying John, but I meant Mark. Whatever I've been saying is not right. Mark is right. Sorry about that. So I'm going to do 16 weeks in the book of Mark, which means there's 16 chapters in the book of Mark, which means every week I'm going to be preaching out of that chapter. So I know I didn't give you a heads up in time for you to read chapter 1 for this Sunday, but you can read chapter 1 this week and chapter 2 for next week, and every week you will know at least what chapter I'm going to be preaching out of. So once again, it is Mark, not John, and keep reading through Mark uh, throughout the fir first 16 Sundays of the year. Now, in his book, A Journey to Bethlehem, John uh, Sor Sorosky offers the following definition of a resolution. Now, here's his definition. Resolution, Webster defines the word as being marked by firm determination. The word denotes every, the word dominates every New Year's Eve. To a musician, a resolution is a harmony line moving from a dissonant tone, one that doesn't fit the melody, to a consonant tone, one that fits. Harmonies can, can dance and amaze us with varied complexities for a while, but they must eventually resolve. To a writer, a resolution is the end of a story, the final element of a twisting plot wrought with conflict, finally resolved to an ending where all is well. To the chemist, it is the separation of a chemical compound back into its constituents or simplest parts. To a statesman, it is an expression of the determined will of an elected body. To the graphic artist, it is the sharpness of the pixel count on a screen and the quality of the image produced. By any definition, he says, a resolution is characterized by a return to simplicity. A focus on sharp definition and determination broke down to its simplest, most harmonious parts. Without resolution, art, science, government, and life in general all fall into chaos. Without resolution, there is no foundation on which to stand, he says. But I want you to pay attention to that fact. Resolution is marked by a return to simplicity. A return to simplicity. In 2019, not 16, 2019, that's exactly what I believe we as a church, we as individuals are being called to do. Return to simplicity. Complexity has marked our lives for 
far too long. Complexity has gotten in the way of us accomplishing the mission that God has given us. Complexity has gotten in the way of us being freed to be the people God designed us to be. So complexity has got to change and be removed so that simplicity can rule our lives. When I was a kid, one of the simplest games, yet one of the most enjoyable games, at least to me, was follow the leader. In fact, when we have VBS, one of the games the kids like to play is follow the leader. And so you hop on one foot and everyone behind you hops on one foot and you skip around and everyone behind you skips around. It's always good to see me skipping. That's, a, that's an awesome sight. You need to come to VBS and you see that. <laughs> Strut like a chicken. Everyone else struts like a chicken. Whatever you do, they do. Interestingly enough, we didn't leave it in the kids game category. We pulled it up into adulthood and we just called it a conga line. Same exact thing. You walk along and every once in a while you put your foot out, you know, you know, to the beat. Woo. You know, you walk. It's the simple thing, but it's enjoyable. We enjoy it. We have fun. It's exciting, but it's simple. For 2019, I really want us to embrace the simplicity of just following the leader. Just follow the leader. Follow the leader. You know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, follow the leader. It's as simple as that. Just follow the leader. I told you, Matthew and Luke, and to a small degree, John, start off by taking his back to Jesus' birth. John, even farther back than Jesus' birth. But Mark, Mark is different. It begins the gospel of Mark, the good news, with Jesus' beginning of his public ministry. Mark 1, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and then he jumps in to Jesus' ministry. In fact, a few verses later, this is what it says. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Right from the beginning of Mark, Jesus almost immediately begins proclaiming the good news. He begins proclaiming God's kingdom is near. Right from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus has an urgency about telling others the gospel message. His ministry will only last about three years. And so in that three years, he has got to make the very most of the time that he has. And so right off the bat, he starts telling others about the good news. In fact, the best way we can follow Jesus is to do what Jesus does. In fact, Jesus calls us to do what Jesus does. Because in Mark 1.17, he says, come follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. Jesus wants us to follow. Jesus wants us to proclaim the good news. Jesus wants us to, to act as if we have three years or maybe three months or three days, but have this urgency about following what he does. It's as simple as that. And so for the next 16 weeks, we're going to follow what Jesus does. So where does Jesus lead us here in Mark chapter 1? 
Well, for that, jump back. Mark chapter 1, starting verse 9. I want to start there. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus kicks off his ministry by being baptized. The one person in the entirety of all human history who did not need to be baptized starts off his ministry by being baptized. He, he never sinned. He has no need to come and repent. And yet, he gets baptized. Why? Why does Jesus start off his public ministry by being baptized? And why, after he's baptized, does God call down from heaven? This is my son, and I'm pleased with him. I'm pleased with him. Well, Mark doesn't really tell us, but Matthew at least gives us an idea. Matthew says, when Jesus says to, he wants to be baptized. He says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Fulfill all righteousness in the NIV. In the NLT, it says, carry out all God's requirements. But the point is, Jesus, right from the bat, is calling on us, showing us, giving the example that we need to do what is right. That is what righteousness is, to do what is right in the eyes of God. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He does what is right in the eyes of God. He obeys God's requirements even when he had nothing to repent of and no sin to confess. He sets an example for us to do what is right. Now I want to pause a minute. This isn't in my sermon. But if you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting on? What is going on? That is to do what is right. That's what God calls us to do. It's as simple as that. Why? Well, you know, I'm not sure. Well, it's very simple. God calls us to be baptized. Be baptized. Be baptized. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus and follow in the command of Jesus, which we're going to get at here in just a minute. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Todd, this is so simple. It doesn't even need to be a point in a sermon. I agree it is simple, but I disagree. It has to absolutely be a point in a sermon to do what is right. How often do we choose not to do what is right? How often have you gotten up in the morning and you think to yourself, I need to talk to God more today. I need to listen to Him speak through His Word to me today. I need to share the good news with my neighbor today. I need to forgive that friend of mine who I've been holding a grievance against today. But then at the end of the day, you realize, I haven't done a single one of those things. You intended to do what is right, but you never did what was right. Jesus says, do what is right. In the American frontier days, there was a settlement in the West whose citizens were engaged in the lumber business. The town felt they wanted a church, so they built a building and called a minister. The preacher moved into the settlement and initially was well received. Then one afternoon he happened to see some of his parishioners dragging some logs, which had been floating down the river from another village upstream. They were dragging them onto the bank. 
Each log was marked with the owner's stamp on one end. And to his great distress, the minister saw his members pulling in the logs and sawing off the end where the telltale stamp appeared. The following Sunday, he preached a strong sermon on the commandment, Thou shalt not steal. At the close of the service, the people lined up and offered enthusiastic congratulations. Wonderful message. Mighty fine preaching. Keep up the good work. It wasn't the response he expected, so he went home and he prepared his sermon for the following Sunday. And the following Sunday, he preached the exact same text. The same commandment, but with a different ending. He said, yes, thou shalt not steal. But thou shalt not, shall also not cut off the end of thy neighbor's logs. <laughs> and when he got through, the congregation ran him out of town. <laughs> See, it's easy to say, well, I, I'm going to do what is right. It's much harder to do what is right. Just do what is right. And when I say that, what I mean is do what God says. It's that simple. It's easy to agree with the concept, but putting it in practice is the hard thing. James chapter 4, verse 17 says it like this. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. James says it's sin if you know you should do something, but you don't do it. You don't do it. So are you and I doing what is right? You know, all the things God tells us to do. Are we doing those things? If we're not doing those things, I don't want you to leave this place guilty. I want to leave this place repentant and striving to do what is right. That's the first thing I think Jesus shows us, what we should follow. The second one's found in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore... Of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men." Jesus starts off by challenging us to do what is right. But then I look and he, it looks like he's challenging us to disciple other people. He challenges you and me to be disciple makers. Right from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus brought others alongside for the journey. He called them to follow him. He taught them. He trained them. He prepared them to continue the message, continue the ministry that he had. Now, we think for three years, he discipled 12 people. But the truth is, there were many more than just 12 people. However, these 12 he poured specifically into. Who are you pouring into specifically and intentionally? Who are you discipling and preparing that's what Jesus calls every single Christian to do, to disciple and prepare someone else to follow. 
The reason I say that is because Jesus says it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And now listen to what Jesus says, by the way. Baptizing them. I don't want to skip that. Jesus says it very clearly. Do what is right. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And, sure, and be sure of this. I will always be, I, will, I am with you always, even to the end of of the age. Jesus says to the disciples, I want you to go out and make disciples. I want to baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you, you to teach them to obey everything I've taught you. Now, interestingly enough, we are along the same lines as those. Someone discipled someone who discipled someone who discipled someone, and it finally got to us, and we're doing the exact same thing Jesus told them to do. Because to be quite honest, when he said and teach them, to obey all the commands I've given you, one of the commands that he'd given them is go and make disciples. You see how it kind of works? It's kind of cyclical. It, kind of, it got to us. And now we've been, we, we have to acknowledge the exact same call from Jesus. You look around the churches today, and lots of times we talk about, well, we had some additions this year. Well, that's great. That's awesome. It's awesome. We had some people come. Awesome. Praise God for that. Other churches that are growing more rapidly, we, we've had some multiplication this year. Well, that's great. Awesome. God's kingdom growing. Wherever it is, I'm excited about it. And you should be too. Doesn't matter what church. As long as God's kingdom is growing. Jesus actually talks about duplic duplication. It's not addition. It's not multiplication. It's duplication. Jesus really wants you and me to Create other you and me's. Now, not because he wants us to create other Todd's. He wants us to create other people who are following Christ. That's what he wants. You and I should be duplicating ourselves over and over and over and over again. Well, Todd, I don't know how to lead someone to Christ. How did you get here? Tell them that story. That's how you lead someone to Christ. I don't know every scripture I should know. Okay. Well, when they stump you, ask them for a little time. You'll find them the answer. And the other thing is start learning scripture. It's not that hard. Figure out what God's Word says. Put it in your heart and in your mind. In fact, all of us should be an example that someone should be following intentionally. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says this, And you should imitate me just as I imitate Jesus or imitate Christ. For four decades... Amos Alonzo Stagg coached football at the University of Chicago. In fact, they were the original monsters of the Midway long before the Bears borrowed that moniker. For decades during the, uh, for decades and long after Coach Stagg's heyday, you, you couldn't go far on campus without bumping into his influence. Not only did he lead the Maroons to two national champions, Two national championships, two national titles in both 1905 and 1913. But his football legacy includes the huddle, the Statue of Liberty play, one side kick, the T formation, the end around, and the forward pass. Or in other words, he practically invented football as we know it. But that isn't his true legacy. When, we accept, when he accepted the invitation to coach the Maroons, he gave the university president an acceptance speech of sorts by saying this, after much thought and prayer, I decided that my life can best be used for my master's service in the position 
you have offered. And then Amos Alonzo Stagg coached until the age of 98. But he didn't just coach a team. He discipled a team. He discipled a team. I want you to understand whatever sphere of influence you have, whether it is at work or in some kind of hobby or coaching some kind of youth league, whatever sphere you are in, you need to use that as an opportunity to disciple people. Pick someone or many someones and try to duplicate your walk with the Lord. Jesus goes on. Other things we need to follow Jesus is Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to, pre, uh, to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. The third thing we need to learn and we need to follow in Jesus' footsteps starting today and for the rest of our days is that we need to be sharing the good news. You and I, we need to share the good news. In this one chapter, three different times preaching or teaching is mentioned that Jesus preaches or teaches. Three different times in this single chapter, Jesus made a priority of telling people the good news. Now, many of us have embraced a misunderstanding of what it takes to share the good news. Many of us have embraced or bought into the idea that somehow my visibly good life, lived for God, is going to lead people to Christ. That is not true. Or maybe I should say that is a partial truth. Your visibly good life Live for the Lord should attract people to Christ. But if you want to lead them to Christ, you've got to use your lips and proclaim what Jesus has done. Yes, we should live a good life. It should be the foundation of our proclamation of the good news. Our life no matter how good it is, will not lead people to Christ unless we actually speak up. Someone has to open their mouth and share what Jesus has done in their lives. In fact, Paul says it like this, Romans chapter 10, verse 14. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they have never heard about Him? And how can they hear uh, about Him unless... Someone tells them. Unless someone tells them. We need to find those people who need to hear about Jesus Christ. And we need to tell them about Jesus Christ. Yes, your good life should be evidence of a life change for Christ and give you a foundation on which you can proclaim what Jesus Christ has done in your life. At the height of his worldwide fame, rock musician Alice Cooper drank a bottle of whiskey a day. A bottle of whiskey a day. But that bottle almost destroyed his marriage to his wife Cheryl, who had been his wife for 25 years. And so he started to head off to church with her. 
And as he did that, he felt God was speaking to him every single Sunday. Now a believer, Alice Cooper takes the opportunity to speak to curious fellow musicians about the reality of the devil and the reality of the change in his life. He says, I've talked to some big stars about this, some really horrific characters, and you'd be surprised. The ones that you, wouldn't, that you would think are the farthest gone are the ones that are most apt to listen. Listen. There are people who need to hear about Jesus Christ. And sometimes we feel as either, either we are not prepared or not able or they are not prepared or would be unwilling. But the truth is the gospel is a powerful thing and it transforms lives. God's word cuts to the soul and spirit. Proclaim it and you will see powerful things go on around you. One last thing that Jesus shows us in this first chapter is found in Mark 1, verse 34. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. If you want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, I think one of the things we need to be doing, all of us, is to help everyone that we can. You and I need to help everyone we can. Now this verse mentions that Jesus healed many people. But he has already earlier in the chapter healed a demon-possessed man. And earlier in the chapter he healed Simon's mother-in-law. And later he heals a man with leprosy in the same chapter. In this one chapter, Jesus is constantly helping people over and over and over and over again. Now you might be thinking, well, well, I can't heal people. I can't heal people. Well, you'd be right. But you know what? You can pray for healing because we know the one who can heal people. We know who he is. We can pray for healing. You can comfort people. You can provide for needs of people. And by the way, you can share Jesus, which is no matter who the person is, their greatest need. You can share Jesus with people who need to know who he is. You may not be able to heal, but you sure can help. In Matthew chapter, <clears throat> chapter 25, starting verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your homes. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Jesus says, to love him is to love others. If you want to show Jesus love, you help other people around you. 
Jesus is calling us to make a difference in people's lives, both now and for an eternity. And it's not hard if you just start looking around. You will see people all over the place that you need to help. Mother Teresa said this, Oh Jesus, grant that even if you're hidden under the unattractive disguise of anger, of crime, or of madness, and we could probably add laziness, addiction, and abusiveness, and on and on we could go, but she continues, Grant me that I may recognize you and say, Jesus, you who suffer, how sweet it is to serve you. How sweet it is to serve you. Jesus has not called you and I to a church pew. He has called us to a life of obedience. He has called us to be disciple makers. He has called us to proclaim the good news. He has called us to sacrificially help others around us. And the question is, in 2019, if you haven't already, are you going to accept the call? Are you going to follow in the footsteps of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? The one that every Christian proclaims as Lord of their life. We pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to this text and we are, at least I am, challenged by what Mark writes here. I'm challenged by how Jesus lives here. The example that he shows, what he does, why he does it and how he does it. And Lord, I pray for each one here that we will grab hold of this text and allow it to transform our lives. In fact, for the next few months, I pray that each one of us here would allow Mark to be transformative in our lives. As we follow in the footsteps of the Master. Lord, maybe there are people out there that need to hear the gospel message. Lord, maybe there are things you've been calling us to do for quite some time through your word and we've been uh, reluctant to do so. Lord, maybe there's someone in our life that needs to be encouraged to follow you more directly, that we need to personally get involved with. And maybe there are many people around us that need our help. Let us open our eyes to all of those things and let us follow where Jesus has led us. That is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand up this morning. We're going to sing our hymn of decision. As we sing this song, if you need to make a decision, now's the time to come. There'll be elders at the front or the back. Now's the time to come. And by the way, if you haven't given your life to the Lord, if you haven't confessed Him as Lord and repented of your sins and been baptized, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? That would be the best way to start off any year that I know of. As we sing this song, if there's any decision, if you need to be prayed with, if you need to talk to someone, you need to come forward and give your life to the Lord and be immersed, any of those things, won't you do so as we sing this song?